0: here with you this morning and our servers are going to collect our offering now we uh, are grateful always for your your generosity and your faithfulness as you as you give back to the Lord through that and as they're uh, as they're doing that uh, I don't know if some of you were out here yesterday but man this this place looked a lot different outside a lot different than it does today uh, we uh, we were just uh, really fortunate to be able to host the a great car and bike show and man it was uh it was spectacular there's over 140 cars that were here so if you got to see that man i just was thinking about yeah give it up it was it was really cool uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I, I, of course, the way my brain works, I'm walking around and I'm thinking, how many millions of dollars of cars are sitting out there, right? There's a lot. I don't know for sure, but there was some some pretty pretty cool stuff. And and if you were here last weekend, you know, we launched our, our life groups, I had a life group launch party last Sunday night. Boy, that was a great time. Had a lot of fun, and uh, I I shared some things I wasn't expecting to share, if you were here. uh but it was great it was a lot of fun and we're really excited because this has been uh, this has been the, the most successful life group launch that we've had uh, in the history of, of our church we've got just a, a great number over half of the church of our normal weekly attendance is involved or signed up to be involved in a new in a life group study so uh, they're going to begin this week and we're really looking forward to that if you didn't get one of your uh, uh, discussion guides. These are out in the lobby so that you can use this to follow along with the messages on Sunday. We'll, what we talk about here uh, in the morning will be what will be, be followed up on in, in your small groups. And uh, so that's going to start this week. Looking really forward to it. And I just know, I, I'm just excited to see how God will use this because I, I really believe that the Sermon on the Mount is so life-changing. Uh, it's it's so, so much great teaching that if we can just if we can just sink our teeth into it, it'll really change our lives. And, uh, and man, we, we did get the opportunity to celebrate with somebody whose life is being turned upside down last weekend. And so I just wanted to give it up and celebrate with Casey Johnson, who gave his life to Christ last weekend. So give it up for him. He's a great, great dude. A lot of awesome stuff happening that God's doing in his life. I heard a quote this last week that uh, I, I really, really resonated with this. Here's what it says. It said that when complacency sets in, catastrophe is sure to follow. And I was thinking about that quote, and I, I, I thought, man, that, that is uh, that, you can apply that pretty much in every area of your life. I mean, whatever, you know, whether you want to apply it to your, your job, you want to apply it to your parenting, you want to apply it to your, your relationships, marriage, you, you know, whatever, whatever you're working on. Uh, or, or that god is leading you to this this is true when complacency begins to set in and when we just get in a rut you know we just think i've got it all figured out i've got all the information that i need we stop growing that's when catastrophe is going to follow i'm sure that you're familiar with the term muscle memory it's the uh it's when you've, you've done something so many times you can just do that thing without even, without even thinking about it. It's the reason why a basketball player practices the same shot over and over and over. It's the reason a golfer practices that golf swing. You know, It's the reason a guitar player will practice those chords. Even though they can play them, they still continue to practice over and over and over. Why, why do these people continue to practice? If you've mastered something, why do you still continue to practice? It's because... Complacency kills growth. Comfort kills. The moment that we, we begin to think, I've got this down, I'm an expert in this area, you know, and maybe for us spiritually, maybe the thing that we might think is, you know, I've been coming to church my whole life, I've heard these scriptures over and over and over again, I got this, that's the moment when things begin to fall apart for us. And that's a really good way for us to begin the Sermon on the Mount. It's for us to to stay hungry. This is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And the message that he just keeps repeating over and over again is that following God means more than you think it does. The kingdom of God, it is bigger and it requires more than you might think. I was thinking this past week of just reading over, you know, Sermon on the Mount, and and one of the things that uh, we just have to be aware of, you know, when we're, when we're reading Scripture, it's so easy for it to just fall flat. You know, we're reading words on a page, and uh, you know, it, sometimes it's hard for us to to really get in the room, you know, to get in the space where this these things were taking place. And I was actually looking up uh, just a little bit ago this morning when I got up this morning, I was looking up. Uh, Where Jesus preached, or the the spot that we believe that he preached the summer on the Mount, it's a beautiful location in northern Israel, Uh, just these, called the Mount of Beatitudes. This is a gorgeous, overlooking this lake, and just a spectacular place. As a side note, uh, I'm going to be leading a trip to Israel in about 18 months from now, so uh, just put that, tuck that away. We'll be talking about that more in the months to come, but uh, would love for you to come along with us to see these places in person. Uh, I've never been myself, but looking forward to it. We're going with a, a guide that knows the area real well, but uh, they say it just changes the way that you read these. It changes how you read scripture when you you can visualize. You know where that where that took place, and and as I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount, I just try to envision what it must have been like to be there. You, you've obviously heard about Jesus; he's gained a big following. And he's just preaching this radical message, and people are just flocking to him. And, and are just—he he's freeing the captive, you know? He's, he's giving sight to the blind. He's healing the sick. He's raising people from the dead. I mean, he's doing these amazing things. And you, you hear him make this statement over and over and over again. He says, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. He's challenging the status quo. He continues to to push back on complacency. He's lifting our eyes to to get us to see something that's bigger and greater. And and what he's challenging us in the Sermon on the Mount is to set higher goals and and to increase our expectations, to strive to go above and beyond where we are now. He wants us to strive to, to go higher and long to live better. And ultimately, the call for all of us, if you don't understand this, I hope that this will really drive down deep in your heart today. The call on our all of our lives in here today is for you and I to become more like Jesus in who we are, in in, in our habits, in our lifestyle, the way that we live. He keeps raising the bar, and I love the way he begins the how it just opens up in Matthew 5 out of the message version. It says this that when Jesus saw his ministry drawing these huge crowds, he climbed a hillside, and those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, they climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And yeah, we all want to get to the summit. Everybody loves the idea of getting to the peak and the things that we could experience at the top. And, you know, we, we, we watch movies and we're, we're, you know, we're drawn into stories about, uh, you know, these great adventures. And we all kind of put ourselves in that, you know, in that place where we want to have the adventure. We want to experience the thing. But the problem is, a lot of us, where we fall short is we don't want to make the climb. And what I read in this scripture, there's a big contrast of people who heard this message because many of them were hungry for the word. They loved what Jesus was saying. They wanted more of it, and they wanted to grow. They wanted to be closer to God. But there were some of them that were there that were just so complacent. There would have been some Pharisees who were there. They were the experts, right, in the law. They were the ultra, ultra ultra-religious people of their day. And they had hundreds. I mean, there was over 600 laws that the Pharisees followed, and they followed them to a T. And when we talk about laws, you know, it's just as a side note, and some of you know this already, but one of the the areas where we get hung up is we talk about the law in the Old Testament, and there's just a variety of things there, but there are really three distinct categories of the law. You've got the ceremonial law, which was for the people who were following God, and there were things that they did, and, and some of it seems pretty weird to us today, uh, and, and we're we're no longer following that. Jesus came and fulfilled that. And then there was the civil law, which was basically just kind of giving them laws for society. You know, how do we function as a, as a community? And so you had that. And then you had the moral law, which is what we're still under. And this is specifically what Jesus is getting ready to talk about: is the the moral law of God passed down to all of us. And and for these, but for these Pharisees, they. You know, you think about like muscle memory. They didn't even have to think about it. Following these laws, it was, it was kind of just, it was just second nature. It was what they did, it was their whole existence was about this. And, and for them also, they were always trying to find ways to, to make it a little less, uh, a little less strict on, the, on, their, on themselves. And that really was their downfall. They thought they knew it all and that they had mastered what they needed to do. And Jesus says this, and starting in verse 17. He says, don't suppose for a minute... That I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. He's talking about that moral law, the standard of God. And see, So a lot of people think, who is this guy? He's, he's teaching this new stuff, so maybe, maybe uh, you know, this is a whole new thing now. He says, don't, don't, don't think that. I, I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together. Pull it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. If you trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, you've only trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. So for the Pharisees, they're, they're all about rules. Uh, they follow them perfectly. And yet their hearts were all messed up. And so what, what Jesus is saying there is to say, you don't, you don't have a chance at being good enough. If you think that you can enter the kingdom of God based upon what you have done, and how well you have lived, you don't stand a chance. That's what he's saying. And the problem with the Pharisees, were when it came to the law, they they were the best that society had to offer. I mean, these, these people, you look at them, and, and, and everyone's opinion would have been, oh man, if I could only be half as good as they are. You know, You ever look at somebody like that in your own life, it's it seems to be following the Lord, and it seems like spiritually they've kind of got it together. You think, man, I wish I could be half as faithful as they are. I mean, that's how people felt about the Pharisees. They were meticulous about their obedience. And the Jews in Israel, they thought of them as the most moral. They were the most rule-following. They were the most law-abiding people in the world. And in many ways, they were, they were incredibly moral according to the law, but they rejected Jesus. Their hearts were all messed up. And, and that's why I want us to take notice of the next few things that, that Jesus says. He's, he's laying out this new standard for what it looks like to follow God. Just listen to how shocking this is. You know, and again, we, I don't want to approach this with complacency. I don't want to approach this with, yeah, I've heard this before. I want you to hear this and really, really think about how, uh, how controversial this is, what, what he's saying. In verse 21 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, that makes sense. I got it. Don't kill. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You know? That shall not murder. We got that one. The, you know, if, if you kill somebody, you're going to stand in court and you're going to be judged, right? But here's the, here's the shocking part. He says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry... With a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now that is that's a high standard. The issue, what he's what he's pointing out here is the issue is not just our actions. It's not just what you do. This is about your attitude. This is about your feelings. This is about who you are when no one's watching. Who you are when, when you're standing before God, your thoughts, your prejudices against other people. I, I have known people, and I'm sure you have too, you you know plenty of people, maybe it's you, that you would never dream of killing another person. I mean, that's the furthest thing from, you know, ever. would never do that. But, again, I, I've known people that they, they would never kill anybody, but they wouldn't mind murdering somebody's reputation or, or destroying someone's character with their mouth. Uh, there's something in us, I don't know what it is, but there's some little sinful part in us that just feeds off of anger. And uh, being angry with people who think differently than we do. And man, I mean, that's on full display right now in our, in our culture. I just keep hearing the same thing over and over. Like, what's happened to us? What's happened to us as a nation, as a people? Like, why are we so, you know, and people are looking to blame all sorts of things. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's an issue of sin. I think it's an issue of we've wandered far from God and we've missed this. There's something in us that just, I don't know, it's it's like we're just drawn to something that's going to enrage us. I found a quote in the New York Times, I like this, it said that uh, psychologists and other social scientists have repeatedly shown that when we are confronted with diverse information choices, people rarely act like rational, civ- civic-minded automatons. But instead, we are roiled by preconceptions and biases, and we usually just do what feels easiest. We gorge on information that confirms our ideas, and we shun what does not. We're just kind of drawn to it, like a moth to a flame. You know, There's just something in us that we, we, we really like to, to, to have that fire stoked a little bit. It's a strange thing. Heard about a husband uh, who couldn't figure out how his wife kept from losing her temper because he was, you know, like a normal dude, and he would do boneheaded things from time to time, and. You know, so he'd, every once in a while he'd blow it. And his wife, just never seemed. she'd never lose her temper with him, never get angry, never raise her voice. And one day he, he asked her, he said, I, I just don't understand that. How is it that, that you are able to control your anger? You never fight back with me. How do you do that? She said, well, I go and I scrub the toilet. <laughs> and he, he said, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Why, how does that keep you from not losing your temper with me? She says, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> it's not the, not the best method of anger management there. But, but, but this, is, this is where Jesus is moving us. He, he's saying, I'm not just concerned with your actions. I'm concerned with your heart. You've got to know this. As we follow Jesus, he is so much more concerned about what's going on beneath the surface. What's motivating you? I don't think that Jesus was saying that we would never get mad at anybody. That that wasn't the message. He's not saying that we should never get mad at anybody because he did. He got angry. You see that. Jesus got angry at injustice and hypocrisy. A lot of people know this or at least somewhat familiar that there's a, a moment in Scripture where Jesus went into the temple and he sees these people who are the money changers that were taking advantage of the people. And they were, they were ripping people off is what they were doing. And it was, you know, this just this terrible thing that was taking place. So he goes in and he turns the tables over. And he made a whip and just starts driving people out. I mean, it's just... just looks like kind of a chaotic scene and you think whoa that's that's the same Jesus that says love your enemies and do these other things and here he's he's he seems like a pretty extreme action but here's what most people don't realize about that about that account is that Jesus had been in the temple the night before he'd already seen what was happening he knew what was taking place so when he when he went in there He didn't react out of anger. He responded in anger. He came back with a measured response. Ephesians 4.26 helps us understand the difference. It says, go ahead and be angry. Go ahead. This is in the message version. Go ahead and be angry. you do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of a foothold in your life. We we have to understand that anger is not the sin. It's the response. It's what we do with it. Uh, If if we harbor bitterness, if we just stay there and just let that stir and stir and stir that anger in our heart, it's, it's like we've pulled a trigger. It's like we've committed murder. And Jesus is raising the bar. Now I want us to look at a couple of verses down and see a connection here. It's going to feel like a little whiplash here, but just just hang with me. I believe these things are connected. In uh, the next few verses, Matthew 5, 27, he says, You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Got it. Okay, that's pretty simple. I understand what that means. But here's the controversial part. The next verse. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying, y- y- you've heard this, you're-, you're not to murder. okay? But I'm telling you that if you're angry with somebody to the point of revenge, it's like you've killed them. It's, it's like you've committed that, that uh, action. And you've heard not to commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, it's, it's as if it's already taken place. And again, he's saying, I'm concerned with what's going on in your heart. I'm concerned with who you are when nobody's watching. What, what is lust? I mean, I think that's one of those words that we just think, you know, at least for me, I always think like dark, dirty, like what is it, you know. But I think about it like this. It's, it's longing for something that isn't yours to have. That's what it is. It's when you, you're longing for something, someone, that's why we even talk about, you know, there are people who lust for money, Maybe you lust for someone else's possessions, or whatever it is. It's not necessarily just strictly a, a sexual thing, but it, but it certainly it certainly is and can be. But it's longing for something that's not yours to have. And you know the real problem with anger and lust? Is there's no guardrails in place. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all reaction. It's, it's not response. It's not a measured response. There is absolutely positively nothing wrong at all with you if you're a, if you are a single person and and you find another single person a single person attractive and you decide you know I want to pursue that person, uh, and you begin to strike up a friendship, which maybe leads to dating or courtship, or you know, or there's there's time involved, or you're getting to know another person. Maybe it will lead to a marriage, and it's within that within that relationship, with that, that covenant, where two people have come together and said, you know what, we're we're pledging ourselves to one another for the rest of our lives. It's you and me. We're we're in this together. Uh, it's within that that all that physical passion can be enjoyed but anything outside of that is missing the mark it's sin it's it, it's it's outside of god's intention for what human relationships should look like and and that's how lust works it's it's this gut reaction there's no pursuing uh, there, there, It's just a response it's it's breaking down the foundation of how to pursue healthy relationships with dating and, and courtship and waiting. It, it, but, but that just skips all those steps and say, well, let's just jump into bed together. And this is a real serious issue. You know, and we, we forget about this. I, I think it's funny how we forget that God's the one that made this whole thing up. Like, right? I mean, we, we understand that. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. They were there, and they were very attracted to one another. And God's response to that, he said, oh, this is very good. That was his idea. It was his plan and his purpose for a man and woman to come together, be united, and and, and to enjoy those physical passions. Sex is a a great gift, but it's a terrible God. And here's here's the problem. We worship it. We worship its passion and pleasure, I mean, from from the the media that we consume to the books that we read, I mean, it's it's all around us. We put it on this high pedestal, and we are worshiping the created over the creator. And, And what it does, it leads us to have an unnatural relationship with us. So why is Jesus raising the bar on anger? Why is Jesus raising the bar on lust? It's because he knows something about us. Because he made us. We are his children. And he knows that those things damage our hearts. And so the message here is clear. Watch your heart. Watch out. We just got out of a five-week series in the book of Proverbs, if you were following along with that. And the whole message of Proverbs is seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Wisdom is going to be a roadmap. map. It's, it's, going to, it's going to guide your life. It's going to help you to have a, a happier and more fulfilled and more successful life. If you have the wisdom that comes from God, it's going to change everything about your life. And Proverbs 4.23 is a powerful reminder. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So some people say, well, why has Jesus got to be such a buzzkill? Why has he got to keep raising the bar? Why has he got to call us to these difficult things he knows something about us so watch your heart because that is determining where your life is going and i just i see this bridge between anger and lust they're both toxic to the heart they're both connected when we lust we're longing for something that's not ours to have and when we can't have that well what does that produce produces anger and then when we're angry What do we do when I'm I'm just spinning and spinning and spinning? Well, a lot of times we're angry, and it just causes me to lust. I just want something that I can't have. That'll settle this issue. It's just this toxic cycle that goes on and causes bad problems in our lives. So that's why Jesus makes this really strong statement. He's talked about, he's, he's raising the voice. He says, you've heard not to commit murder? I tell you, if you're angry with someone where you're seeking revenge, it's like you've killed them. You've heard it said, don't don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you lust after someone, it's as if it's already taken place in your heart. He's raising the bar. And then he says, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, then gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body and for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, he's not telling us to self-mutilate. You know, we're not we're not to take that to that degree. What he's saying is, take this seriously. Take this is so serious. You got to if if there's something in your life that's causing you to go down a sinful path, You've got to recognize that you have to understand this is bad for me. This is pulling me away from the goodness of God and what he wants for my life. And I've got to take this serious enough that I've got to get it out of my life. I've got to take the step to get it out of of me and out of my life, even if it's painful. And for some of you, that might mean ending a relationship that's not healthy. And, And as much as you might hate the thought of that... You know it's no good for you. You know, you. Sometimes it's necessary to end a friendship because we just keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over, and nothing ever changes. And every time I'm around this person, it just they just drag me down. Or maybe you got a, you know, you, you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and and you're being influenced and led down a sinful road, and it's not good for you, and you know it. It doesn't mean that you hate that person. It doesn't mean that you're going to go trash them and say, well, let me tell you my side of the story and blah, blah, whatever. It just means that you can't move forward like this anymore. I can't do this. And, and here's part of why I think this anger and lust thing is connected. Many of us, we have the idea that we're, we're told not to be angry with someone and Jesus tells us to forgive. So that means that we just need to continue on as we are. I see a lot of people who are, they're just, they've just sort of made martyrs out of themselves you know, they're connected to people and things and places, and it's just that that is no good for them, but they continue on because they feel like that's what God wants them to do, right? Well, let me push back on that, because I, I want you to know, when it, when it comes to relationships with other human beings, reconciliation might happen, but forgiveness must happen, and there is a difference let me let me just kind of make a distinction between the two when we talk about forgiving you know the anger for other people okay what what's my obligation you know what am i called to do as a follower of jesus let me tell you what forgiveness is not forgiveness it is not ignoring denying or enabling what has happened so if you you know you're dealing with a person that they it just it just continues to be toxic it just continues to be these these problems, forgiveness isn't like oh well you know that's not really an issue oh no it's fine you're fine as you are no it's it's fine you can keep you can keep hitting me you can keep doing this you can keep it's it's okay it's okay that's not forgiveness that's crazy. Here's another thing that forgiveness is not it's not enabling someone to continue to harm themselves or somebody else. So if you're with somebody that they're trying to play the manipulation game, let's see if we can out hurt each other. Uh, forgiveness isn't. Oh yeah, you just you just keep you just keep that up, keep that kind of behavior up, and giving them permission to do that. That's not forgiveness either. And forgiveness is also. Here's another thing. Uh, this is gonna. Some of you, you're gonna say, "Wow, I've, maybe this is something you've never thought of." But forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, you probably your mama probably told you that you need to forgive and forget, forgive and forget. You're not God. You know. And here's, here's a newsflash, too. We think, well, you know, God, he forgets my sin. He's God. He doesn't, he doesn't actually forget. He chooses not to remember is what the Scripture tells us. He says, when I've forgiven your sin, I choose to remember them no more. It didn't just, you know, gone out of his mind. And we can't either. It's not possible for you to forget, nor should you. Here's another thing that forgiveness is not. It's, it's not trust and reconciliation. You know, again, sometimes maybe it is. Maybe sometimes, hopefully, that would be a great goal is that I've you know, got a broken relationship with someone and, and I would love for us to, to be able to, to uh, you know, move past our issues and, and for there to be change. Uh, but sometimes that's not possible. And, and here's something that I help people wrestle with all the time. I just want to be like super crystal clear on this. If a person, let me just put this out here, if a person is abused at some point in their life, And then they become a Christian. Are they obligated to forgive and trust the person who abused them? I talk to a lot of people who really struggle with that one. And they think, I I, I guess that's what Jesus tells me to do. No. That person's not safe. (laughs) You can't trust that person again. You are in no way being asked by God to trust them or to be reconciled to them ever again. That is not the words of Jesus. And certainly while they've not changed their behavior, here's what forgiveness is. We've we got to understand what it actually looks like. Forgiveness is releasing the debt that's owed to you. If someone's done something to you and you have the right, I mean, especially under Old Testament law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, if somebody's hurt you, well, then you have the, the uh, you know, it's your right to hurt them back or to see them hurt Forgiveness is taking your hand off their throat. It's releasing the debt. It's when you're asking God to help get the pain and the hurt away from you and away from your future and to replace it with internal and external health and peace. Well, I'm going to move forward, Lord. I want to move forward with you in confidence that you, you are who you are, say you are and that you love me and that I, I am... Who have I in heaven but you, and on earth, on earth none that I desire besides you. A couple of years ago, I read this, this article this past week, it's interesting, but about two years ago, back in December of 2021, there was a bomb that exploded at a construction site in Munich, Germany. And, you know, it's terrible, there were people that were really severely injured, and, uh, but the interesting thing about it, it wasn't like a terrorist bomb. This bomb was a it was a 550-pound aerial Allied bomb from World War II. It had been in the ground for 75 years. Nobody knew it was there. And it was triggered by, by some drilling that was being done in this. Uh, by, by a train station nearby. So it had been laying under the ground all that time. People had been walking over it, didn't know it was there, had no clue, you know, and then they're drilling, and all of a sudden this, this huge bomb goes off. Luckily, no one was killed, although there, were sim- there have been similar incidences where people have been killed. But I'm reading that, and I, I think, just imagine this, this thing that was buried for so long, still explosive, still deadly, still dangerous. That's what unforgiveness is like in our lives. It sits beneath the surface, and maybe we think, oh, I'm good. Yeah, it's all right. But if we hold on to anger, if we nurse the bitterness, we refuse to deal with the issues that are often buried just right below the surface, that bomb's going to eventually explode. And the collateral damage uh, will be devastating. Devastating. That's why Jesus says that forgiveness and reconciliation are the choice for believers, not anger, not bitterness. Forgiveness. Forgive as you've been forgiven, is what he says. Lust has the same destructive potential in our lives. We we all know people who, unfortunately, have caused incredible pain and damage in their lives in the lives of their family because of an uncontrollable lust that gave birth to sin. And it blew a hole through their, through their marriage, through their home, through their family, through their kids. And maybe that lust grew roots because of unresolved anger. Because something that was beneath the surface, it was never dealt with. And I know that every situation is different, but the results are always the same. This is why Jesus wants us to strive to to go higher and long to live better because this is the deeper and more joyful life that he wants us to have. The call of God on our lives it seems it seems high it just seems so difficult and that's why we have the promise of the Holy Spirit It's going to give us everything that we need to to follow and to be faithful and that's the good news right of, of what it looks like to be In a relationship with Jesus Christ, is He doesn't just come into our life and then say, "Well, good luck. You figure it out on your own." He says, "I'm going to I'm going to give you a part of myself. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that's going to live in you, and He's going to give you everything that you need." And sometimes I think we get a little weird with that because we we've all seen some things that just look a little out there. And what what is this? I don't know. But but we don't we don't need to be concerned or afraid or or. uh, you know, turned off by what it looks like for a person to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It just simply means the power of God that is at work in my life. That He is involved. He is active. He's guiding me. He's not left me alone. I pray that every one of us would have that this week as we charge into Monday. Facing a lot of challenges, facing a lot of things that are going to pull us in a lot of different directions. But my, my prayer for all of us is that we would that we would go forward uh, with knowing this call of God on us, and knowing that we also have the promise of, of the Spirit to, to guide us through, so let me pray for us. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this, this word from Jesus, that even after all these years, it is still, it still challenges us. It, it pushes back on, on everything that, the world tells us. Father, we we need you to. To help us to discern truth in our lives, we need, you to, we need your spirit to, to give us what we need to be able to, to live and, and, and to, to, to pursue grace and truth, just as Jesus did. Help us to be those people that we can, we can be people of the truth who are filled with grace. I thank you for the forgiveness that you have for each one of us in here. And Lord, I know that even in this past week, a lot of us, we, we have, uh, we've gone our own way. We've, we've, we've done things that, that are outside your intention for us. I pray that you would forgive us once again. Lord, help us to surrender and submit to you. And, and help, lift us back up so that we can begin to walk with you again. I pray you'd give every person here just a. Just that, just renew that spark of hope in us as we go out and we, we live this week. May we uh, just continue to pursue Jesus. I ask all this in his name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'll see you next Sunday.